Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Josie Long, and this is Sound Unbound, where we explore the music that moves creative minds. Today, we're going to hear how a poet appreciates classical music. How does someone whose currency is words feel inspired by instrumental work? Let's meet our guest. My name is Raymond Antrobus. I am a poet and an investigator of missing sounds. And I have chosen Sibelius's Symphony 2. Raymond's poetry is award-winning. He's also one of the world's first recipients of an MA in spoken word education. And he's done a lot of work in schools, raising awareness of the needs of black and minority ethnic deaf children and young people, all stemming from his own experiences as a deaf person. So Raymond had a fitting introduction to Sibelius. So I was introduced to Sibelius by my religious education teacher at school, and I bumped into him completely randomly in the street. Years later, we got into this whole conversation about poetry, and he just casually said, have you listened to any classical? And I said, well, no, I listen to, to jazz, but I've actually never listened to any classical music. And he just said, well, because you're a poet, you should check out Sibelius. Start with the second symphony and then listen to the fifth. And I wrote it in my notebook. I remember going home and listening for the first time. And I put it on as background music while I was trying to clean. But the, the, the symphony was so captivating, so striking, that I just, <laughs> I couldn't get anything done. It just kept pulling me back down to sit down and stare at the window, go into a trance and just kind of go along with the journey of sound that Sibelius's compositions are. It's so theatrical, there's so much drama in it. I'm just kind of pulled in. It's so demanding of your attention. It's not something you can listen to just kind of in the background. Let's check in with Ben Jernan, our resident conductor and music expert. What do we need to know about Sibelius? 
Sibelius is Finland's most famous composer for writing orchestral music. He was writing at the turn of the 20th century in a style that sounds very open and very sparse. And he was very keen on creating a new musical identity that stepped out from the shadow of Russia. Sibelius was a keen smoker and drinker, and famously he overcame throat cancer in his 40s. What he said about his second symphony was that it was a confession of the soul. Sometimes you feel as if the music sounds really lonely. Sometimes there's just a timpani and a clarinet playing, a little duet in the orchestra, and it feels as if somebody's searching for something that they've lost. So I kept finding that I was sitting down. I'd sit down on the bed and just kind of stare out the window. What it would do is that I tuned into the weather. The strings come in quietly and I remember it just started raining and I I only noticed it was raining because the sound was changing my attention. As a non-Finnish conductor, I find Sibelius's music quite difficult at first to get to grips with. I remember the first time I conducted it and I listened back to the performance. Everything felt really slow because I think I maybe perhaps got a little bit lost in the atmosphere building and these open vistas where seemingly not much is happening. But then you listen to conductors like Sakari Oromo conduct this music and there's a real sense of drive pushing forward right to the very end. You don't really hang around to sniff the roses. You've just got to keep moving. And that's what is the ultimate challenge, actually, when you're conducting Sibelius, is keeping it interesting and alive and electric. My tagline as a poet is an investigator of missing sound. Sibelius uses silence. It always feels when it occurs it always feels so intentional how do you give meaning to something that's not necessarily there or something that's subjective there's this moment where there's this really kind of almost a static sound and there's a sudden silence it's like a really harsh sudden transition But we're given this time to breathe. And suddenly that heart just stops and everything melts away, disappears, and then light opens. And it's a totally different conversation. I think what's striking about Sibelius's palace is it's really distinctive. There's often the pairing of the clarinet with the timpani, which has this almost sea-bound quality to it. Then there's also the tremolando colours that he uses in the lower strings, which generates this feeling of electricity and anxiety. And then there's also his use of silence. I mean, he's really talented at using moments where the music just stops, it just peters out. And as a listener, you're really wondering what's coming next. At this point, you might be wondering how Raymond's love of music works with his deafness. Let's ask him. I do think hearing people would make assumptions about how deaf and hard of hearing people react 
with music. I've got a friend of mine who runs something called the Deaf Rave. He's deaf. He's a DJ and he invites deaf people from all over the country to come and join him in his rave. Our relationship with sound is more about vibration. It's a physical thing. But if I was to talk about kind of my own personal deafness because there's not just one kind of deafness everyone has it differently as a as a kid they called it ski slope deafness so i didn't hear any high-pitched sounds and i'd never heard any high-pitched sounds until i was around eight nine years old and then i was kind of introduced to this whole other frequency at the moment it seems to be only deaf and hard of hearing people who are forced to reckon with what kind of relationship did they want to have with sound? And I generally feel this is a conversation that should be put to everyone across the board. So Sibelius, to me, composes in the, in the way that someone like Derek Walcott composes poetry. An image that uh, Derek Walcott often uses in terms of weather, he, he will often compare uh, rainfall to wires, the wires of rain. And that, that, that there's something that resonates in that image in Sibelius for me. An, an image that started showing up recently in my poems was running taps being left running and I didn't understand why but I realized it why it would come in up subconsciously is because I grew up part of hearing it was a thing I was always getting in trouble for like oh you're always leaving taps running because you don't hear the water running you open the faucet and you just walk out the room and I think it's something that mystified my parents and my mom or anyone that I lived with. And then when I remembered, when I realized that kind of connection between leaving taps running and my deafness, it suddenly kind of helped me create a, a, an effect with that image in a poem. I love how in one symphony, Raymond has touched on deafness, silence in music and poetry. Big topics. But Sibelius's life in music opened the door to another aspect of Raymond's life. Ben mentioned the tension between Russia and Finland earlier, and belonging and loneliness, their powerful emotions that speak to Raymond's own experience. How does Raymond relate to these issues of nationhood? I'm speaking to you at the tail end of someone who's spent just over two years going through two immigration systems in two different countries, the UK and the US. And I would say it's given me a new perspective, I think, on nationality, on government, what these all these things mean. A nation is just a shared collective story that is told by a group of people that happen to be living on, on, on certain land and are speaking a certain language because of, you know, historical battles and colonialism. And I think art, you know, particularly like musicians, composers, poets, writers have been intrinsic to creating, you know, what I would call even a kind of mythology of, of, of nationhood. People in power know uh, the power and the relevance of 
craft and creativity and, and, and art and music in producing story and aligning that with a feeling that ought to be, you know, inspire pride. I'm proud of this passport. I'm proud of this country. I'm proud of these people. I'm proud to be where I'm from. We, we need to stay skeptical about anything that's absolute. So I remember the last time I conducted this, I almost felt like I was over-conducting it because it's so full of jubilation and positivity that you literally just float all the way to the very end of the piece. So I think in his second symphony, this idea of bearing everything, this very naked soul feeling that you're looking, you're going into the deepest and darkest corners of the human psyche, I think is really interesting. If you were to ask me to convince someone, basically the ghost of myself, who had no interest or interaction with classical music up to fairly recently, it's all about the question you ask. What did you see? I think that, you know, that's a, that's a task that hopefully inspire. And if not, at the most, it would just kind of give you some charged silence is <laughs> so it's so uh, engaging it's not downtime huge thanks to Raymond Antrobus for his insight and to Ben Jernin and you for listening to this episode of Sound Unbound with me Josie Lung in this episode, you heard Sibelius' Second Symphony, performed by the Barbican's resident orchestra, the London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Sir Colin Davis, courtesy of LSO Live Limited. To listen to the rest of the series, subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Sound Unbound is produced by Alexandra Quinn for Loftus Media. The executive producer is Freya Hellier. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.